0: Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. It's nice to have very gifted people here at our church to help through this process. I'm very thankful for our finance team and our our deacon leadership and all the help they've provided. So praise the Lord for that. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for your uh, blessings uh, Lord, the the gifts that you've given us, I pray that we'd be good stewards. We'll we'll continue to to uh, try to spend wisely, Father, and save what we can. And Lord, I pray you would just bless us in that effort. Lord, we we just want to reach people for you. We want to disciple people, Father. We want to bring you glory uh, all across this earth. And so, Lord, I just pray that you continue to use us for your honor and glory, Father. I pray for our time this morning as we open the truth of your word. Just give us. Uh, spiritualize to see to understand clearly your truth. And Lord, right now, we just praise your name. We praise you for who you are and for what you've done. We ask that you would bless us in all things, strengthen and encourage us, Father, through the power of your spirit. May we be transformed more into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Take your Bibles and open to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. I guess we can officially say Merry Christmas now. Is that, is that right? Merry Christmas. You can respond back. Merry Christmas. Yes, yes there you go. Even, the tree, even though the trees have been at Walmart since July, now we can say with certainty it's the Christmas season, the beginning of Advent, where we look ahead to the, to the long-awaited Messiah, we kind of count down the days, and I love the story of Christmas, and I love all that Christmas represents, but I always like to remind you at Christmas, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to do it again this morning, Christmas did not begin with the birth of Christ. Huh. I thought it did, you know, little baby Jesus, and that's where we get the name, and, and I will admit that, of course, his ministry on earth started at that point, but I would say to you, scripturally, that Christmas really started in eternity past when God formulated a plan to redeem His people back to Himself. See, we've been separated. And for century upon century, people looked with hope and anticipation and a desire to remove the curse that they found themselves in after the fall in Genesis chapter 3. And they waited, and they waited, and they waited. And then finally, after thousands of years of anticipation, a young couple, having very little understanding of how their lives would affect history, quietly walked into Bethlehem and changed the world forever. I love that story. I think about Mary and Joseph and we read the scripture and we don't know how long they were in Bethlehem. We don't know how long the journey took them. There, there are a lot of things we don't know but we understand clearly that at some point Mary found herself holding not only her firstborn son but the child that would become the savior of the world. God had sent his son and that moment in history was a pivotal point. Everything from that moment on changed. And so, as we celebrate the Christmas season, as we celebrate that incredible gift that was given to us, I want to think about this morning a text. That helps us understand kind of what was accomplished, not only in that birth, but in the life of Christ. Because even though this happened 2,000 years ago, we're still reaping the benefits of the birth and the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I want to think about that this morning. So if you have your Bibles opened to Galatians chapter 4, we're going to spend some time this morning in verses Four through seven. Now let me give you just a little bit of background about Galatians before I read. Written by Paul, written probably 15, 20, 30 years after the resurrection and ascension of Christ. And Paul in Galatians wants us to understand very simply that salvation is found only in Jesus Christ. There's no other name under, under heaven that we may be saved. It's only in Christ that we find our salvation. And so we see this over and over again in Galatians, that you're not saved by works. You're not saved by observing the Jewish law, which we'll talk about here in just a second. You're only saved through Christ. Now, we finished our series last week on sin. And so I don't have the big error to point to this morning anymore. I loved pointing that error for several weeks to remind you of our calling in this life. But I couldn't resist the opportunity to point it out again to you. Because this verse is going to use the same sort of word. And I'm not going to talk about that. But it's just a reminder again of God's plan, of God's purpose for us in this world. So Galatians chapter 4, beginning in verse 4. We have the words on the screen as well. When the time had fully come... God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law that we might receive the full rights of sons. Because you are sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you also Now, there are several things in this text that I want you to see this morning. The first truth is really foundational to our our understanding of Christ and to his call in this earth and to what he's given us. And so here's the first truth I want you to see. Number one, because of the birth of Christ, through Christ, we have, number one, redemption. You have redemption through Jesus Christ. Christ. Now, we're going to get to that word in just a second because redemption is important. The word redeemed is used in this text, and I want to show you that in just a few minutes. But before we get too far in, I want you to notice something about verse 4. Pull that up, if you would, for me, please. Look at how Paul begins the statement in verse 4. When the time had fully Come Now that's one little phrase, a few little words. It's very easy to read over those, kind of blow right past them and miss the meaning. But tied up in those few little words in the beginning of chapter, of, verse four of chapter, verse 4 of Galatians 4, tied up in that little phrase is really thousands and thousands of years of anticipation. Because people up until this point, the Jewish people especially, had been looking for a savior. And so, for centuries, people had lived in sin. People had lived in suffering. People had lived in, in this situation and in, in, in this lifestyle and this culture where they hoped and they prayed that one day someone would come as Messiah to save them of their sins and remove this curse that they had lived under. And so, we understand the, in these first few words of Galatians. Chapter 4, verse 4, that when the time was exactly right, God sent his son right on time. Never too early, never too late. And kind of a truth that some of us probably need to hear this morning as you kind of begin to apply this to your own life is this. God's timing is always perfect. Did you know that? It's always perfect. Now, it may not be perfect in your opinion, (laughs) It may not be the way you had planned it out. It may not be what you had hoped. But in the the providence and the sovereignty of God, his plan is always perfect and his timing is always right. You know, God called me to ministry when I was in my early 30s. About 12 years ago now, I guess. 11 or 12 years ago. And as I look back on that, I just kind of wonder what would have happened if God had called me when I was 16 or 18 or 20 like so many people that I know what, what would my life look like now how much different would it be and I kind of play this human game of thinking well I could have gotten some education sooner experience sooner I could kind of be farther along in my ministry but as I understand God's plan for my life he knew something I didn't know in my 18 16 18 in my 20s mid-20s even early 30s I obviously wasn't ready yet for what he had in store for me and so as I look back on my life, I, I begin to see how God kind of prepared me. And how God used me. And God allowed me to teach and he molded me and he shaped me. And his timing was perfect in my life. Now we look at the birth of Christ and when we think about Jesus and we wonder, maybe I do, why did the Lord send Christ then? Right, we, we kind of live in this modern world and it's hard for us to kind of see past the modern world and the things that we're familiar with and, and our culture and it's hard to understand in other cultures. And I, I read about the time that fully coming and I thought, what if, what if the Lord had chosen to send Christ now? I mean, could you, could you imagine what Jesus could have done with a Twitter account? Could you imagine... If he had had Facebook, how much better things would be if he had had social media, right? We think about, wow, what could have you accomplished in the internet and airplane travel? And we, we kind of think it'd be better this way, but God said, no, no, no. It's not your timing, it's not your idea, it's not your thought. When the time had fully come, God sent his son. John MacArthur said it like this Christ's coming proved the restoration of lost sonship. The restoration of the lost inheritance, the restoration of lost intimacy with God, fellowship, communion. The bondage was a difficult bondage. When God said way back in Genesis 3.15, there was one coming who would bruise the serpent's head. It was a long time before he came. A long time when the fullness of time came. But when the time was right, when it was the perfect time, when it was God's time, he sent his son. But I want you to notice the circumstances under which he sinned because this is important for us to understand. Look at verse 4 again. When the time had fully come, right? So we just kind of understand that's eternity past. That's God's plan. That's God's providence. That's his sovereignty. That's his control over the earth. When the time had fully come, God sent his son. And then two things. Born of a woman, born under law. Now why would those two ideas be important? Now I don't want to spend a lot of time here, but I I don't want you to miss the significance of these two little phrases. Christ was born of a woman very simply to prove that he was fully God and he was fully man. You know, Jesus could have just appeared in the desert one day. Have you ever thought about this? He didn't have to be born. I mean, he literally could have just appeared in the desert one day and he could have walked out of the wilderness and seen John the Baptist for the first time like he did in the scripture without ever being born. God could have literally just placed him on this earth. But because he was born to a woman, we understand scripturally that Christ was fully God and he was fully man. You say, how could somebody be fully God and fully man? I don't, I don't really understand that. Well, I don't understand it either. But it's a picture we see all through the New Testament and the way Christ lived his life, that he was 100% God and 100% man. But he was not only born of a woman, he was born under the law. Now, here's the important part about the law. There's a lot we could say about Jewish law. There were, there were over 600 commands, 600 things the Jewish people had to do and had to follow. And the Lord basically said to them, listen, if you'll keep all these commands, if you'll follow all these rules I've given you, if you can live your life perfectly, then you'll inherit eternal life. What the Jewish people learned from the very beginning, early in the process, is it was impossible to keep the law. And so the, the very law that was given to them by the Lord demonstrated their inability to keep that law and led them to need a savior so even as they're trying to follow the law they realize they can't keep the law and they're desperately in need of a savior and so what does the birth of christ do look at verse five again for me the time had fully come god sent his son born of a woman born under the law to why did he do these things to redeem those under the law That we might receive the full rights of sons. Here's what the Bible tells us. Because of the birth of Jesus Christ, because of all that Christ did for us, we have been, if we accept him as our Lord and Savior, redeemed in him. Now the idea of redeemed and redemption is a word that we're not very familiar with. We don't think a lot about the idea of redemption. We don't use that word a lot of times in our vocabulary But in the context of the first century, the idea of redemption was really to buy something or to purchase something in the marketplace. Oftentimes it was used as a slave, buying a slave in a marketplace. And as we think about the redemption that Christ gave us, we understand that because we are sinful, because we've been separated from the Lord through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, he purchased us and set us free from the bondage of sin. And so Jesus says, listen, because I've come, because of everything that I've done for you, because of what I've given you, you have been redeemed. You were once separated. You were once sinful. You were once living a lifestyle you shouldn't have lived. But because of the birth of Christ, because of his life, because of his death, because of his resurrection, we have been redeemed. But now look at the second part of verse 5. Pull that up again for me, if you would, please. He's come to redeem those under the law that we might receive the full rights of sons. Here's the second truth. Not only have we been redeemed through Christ, bought back, purchased, but number two, through Christ, we are adopted into the family of God. We have been adopted into the family of God. Now, if you've got your Bibles, I want you to hold your place in Galatians and flip over to Ephesians. It's literally right next door. I think you can flip one page And you'll probably be there. If not, we have it on the screen. Ephesians chapter 2. Because I want you to read, I want you to see an interesting passage of scripture that Paul gives us. And he's going to do something really neat here. Now let's just think about this idea of being adopted into the family of God. Let's use kind of modern terms. Before Christ, we were orphans. After Christ, we've been adopted and grafted into his family. Okay, before Christ we were sinful, after Christ we've been redeemed and forgiven, and Paul in Ephesians 2 paints this kind of real clear picture for us, and as we read it, I want you to notice kind of two extremes. Paul's going to give us the extreme of before our relationship with Christ, before salvation, and then after salvation. So here's what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, beginning of verse 1. As for you, this is before, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature, following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But, this is important in verse 4. Because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ... Even when we were dead in transgressions, it's by grace you have been saved. So Paul paints this picture, right? There are kind of these two opposite ideas. There's before Christ, you're dead in your transgressions. You followed the ways of the world, the spirit of disobedience. You gratified your sinful nature. You were objects of wrath. But because Christ redeemed you, because of what Christ gave you, you're now alive with Christ. You've been saved by grace. Without Christ we are orphaned. With Christ we are adopted into his family. Now here's the problem we face. Far too many of us have forgotten what it was like before Christ, haven't we? We become so accustomed to the Christian walk that we forget the great gift that Christ offered us. We forget what it was like to live without Christ. We forgive what it was like we forget what it was like to be separated from the Lord. We, we forget what it was like to be orphaned and outside of the family of God. We kinda, we've kind of gotten over that idea of grace. And I, I would just encourage you th- this Christmas season especially to remember all the Lord has given us, all the Lord has done for us, the incredible gift of his redemption, the incredible gift of his adoption, what it means to our lives now and what it will mean for us in eternity. I had the opportunity yesterday to... Take my son Jonas to his first ever Georgia football game in Athens. I know that didn't mean a lot to y'all, but to some of y'all, that's a big deal. To me, it was a big deal. We had a, a great time. It's a, anytime you take your kids to any college football game, it's a lot of fun. And we had fun cheering and singing and doing all the fun. Stuff. Other than the score, it was a fantastic day, right? Beautiful day in Athens. But we were standing there, and I was just kind of looking at him at some point. I was reminded of when I was a kid. I've told this story before, some of you heard it, but I I grew up with my dad being a sports writer. He wrote a LaGrange paper in Noonan and was was pretty good and won a lot of awards and he got to do some pretty cool things and because he was my dad, I grew up going to sporting events. I've joked before that I I was about 25 years old before I knew you had to pay to get into a football game. I just didn't know that was part of the process. I just always kind of walked in the press gate with my dad and didn't think anything about it. And as I got a little bit older, I got to do some really cool things. I've sat in press boxes and and NFL games and college games. I've been on the field at college football games taking pictures. Uh, I've I've sat in press boxes of of, of high school games. I've been on the the field of NFL games, locker rooms, all kind of cool experiences for me. I mean, growing up as a kid loving sports, it was just, just an incredible opportunity and just a, a neat thing I got to do. But as I look back on my experience, and this is, this is where this ties in in my mind to Galatians chapter 4, I didn't do any of those things because of my own ability. Right, nobody let me in those games because I was a fantastic writer or because I was a great photographer or I'd done something amazing. I got in those games because I was my dad's son. You understand that? I literally kind of rode his coattails into those games. Because of what he had done, because of what he had accomplished, because of who he was in my life, because I was his son, I got certain rights and privileges that nobody else got. I got to enter into these places that other people didn't get to enter into. I got to do these things that other kids didn't get to do. Not because of who I was, but because of who he was. It's the same way with Christ. As followers of Jesus Christ, we're not going to enter into a relationship with the Lord because of our own merits. Because of our own strength or our own ability or our own intelligence. Or how many times we show up at church or how nice we are to people. All those things are good and sometimes they're they're, uh, pictures of our faith in Christ. But none of those things save us. The only way we can receive eternal life in Christ Jesus is because of who he is. Because we've accepted His forgiveness, we call Him our Savior, the Lord of our lives. He has now adopted us into His family. We are part of the family of God. God has rescued us. You know, the, the picture of adoption and orphans, we have, we have families at the church that has, have done that, praise the Lord. It's, it's, it, it, in my mind, is one of the clearest, uh, maybe easiest, tangible ways to understand the grace the Lord offers to us. Because when you, when you adopt an orphan child, that orphan child has done nothing. It's all because of the love and the grace of the family that that child is saved. Literally just scooped up sometimes out of obscurity. It's the same thing with us. We're not saved because we're good enough or smart enough. We're saved because of Christ's love for us. And in the midst of sin, in the midst of turmoil, in the midst of difficult things in our lives, he literally rescues us. He shows us love. He saves us when we can't save ourselves, not based on our own merits, but based on his sacrifice for us. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 8. He says, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Because of Christ, we have been adopted. But I want you to notice what it does to us. Look at verse 6. This is an incredible progression of being separated from the Lord. But because of the perfect timing of the Lord, we've been redeemed. We've been forgiven, which leads to adoption into sonship. And then look at what it does for us in verse 6. Now, because we've been redeemed, because we've been adopted, you are his sons. Right. We are part of the family of God as a follower of Jesus Christ. And the Spirit, or His Spirit of, the, of His Son, he, uh, God sent His Spirit of His Son into our hearts. The Spirit who calls out... Abba, Father. So just keep that up just for a second. So because we've, because the timing of the Lord was perfect, because Christ was sent to redeem us, because he's bought us back, because we've now been adopted into his family, we're called sons, and because we're called sons, and we realize all that he's given us and all that he's done for us, we call out to him, Abba, Father. Now that's a phrase we don't use very often, but it basically means, if you kind of look up the original, it's just very intimate way of talking to a dad. Daddy. It's the cry of a child in desperate need of a parent. We had one of these interesting moments at our house Friday afternoon. I was out back working, a little bit behind my house, kind of out in the woods, and all of a sudden I heard a bunch of commotion and some yelling and some screaming, which is pretty normal for the camp household. So I just kept on working. I was like, well, if something's really bad, they'll come find me, you know. And sure enough, about 30 seconds later, one of the kids comes tearing out and says, Lydia fell. She's hurt. She thinks she broke her arm. Well, she did actually break her arm. I didn't know that at the moment. So I go running around the house, and as I get up close to her, she's calling out for me. I want daddy. I want daddy. So what did daddy do? He just fell right down beside her and comforted her and scooped her up and took her inside. Why? Because that's what a father does for a child. See, sometimes we, we, get, we get really bold in our walk and our fate sometimes, and we get kind of too big for our britches maybe. We don't think we need the Lord When sometimes what we really need to do is kind of crawl up in his lap and just say, Daddy, I love you and I need you to help me. Why can we do that? Because we've been adopted as sons and daughters into the family of God. And in the most desperate times in our lives, sometimes the darkest places in the depths of suffering, we need to cry out and call out to the Lord, Abba, Father, Now look at verse 7. Let's continue this progression as we wind this thing up this morning. So Christ was sent at just the right time Because he was sent at just the right time and because of what he accomplished for us, he redeemed us. Because we've been redeemed, that means we've been bought back. Now we've been adopted into his family. We love him. We cry out to him, Abba, Father, this intimate closeness we have with him. And now look at verse 7. So, in other words, because of all Christ has done, because of all Christ has given, because of all the sacrifices Jesus has made, because you've now been adopted into his family, so you are no longer a slave but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you you also an heir. Here's truth number three. Through Christ, we are free. We've been redeemed. We've been adopted. We've now been given freedom. Now, when Paul wrote this in the first century, he was writing to a group of people that very clearly understood the idea of slavery. People he was writing to, some of them had been enslaved, some of their family members had been enslaved, slavery was a part of their society. Praise the Lord, in our current culture right now, right here, we don't live in that society anymore. We understand the horrific nature of that, we understand it was a part of our past, but we don't really understand it, do we? Because none of us have been slaves, none of us have ever known slaves, that's something we've kind of put behind us, and it's not something we think a lot about, but let me kind of apply this to your life just a little bit. We don't understand the idea of physical bondage and slavery, but we sure do understand the bondage of sin, don't we? We understand the bondage of alcohol, drugs, pornography, you name it, we've either seen it or experienced it or are dealing with it now. And so I, I want to speak the, to the believer right now, the Christian right now who may be struggling through something, or the non-believer who is just kind of... Held down by this sin or held down by this lifestyle, almost as if you're a slave to it. I want you to hear truth. Bring up number seven. Bring up verse seven again. I want you to hear biblical truth. So, you are no longer a slave. You understand that? You are no longer a slave to sin when you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. So, if you're a believer and struggling with something, you need to understand you're not a slave to that sin. That sin does not define you. The redemption of Christ in your life defines you. It's no longer I who live, it's Christ who lives in me. You understand that? And so you don't have to choose this lifestyle of sin. You say, I've kind of got this propensity to be angry sometimes and shoot off at people at work and I just say what I feel. You know what? You're no longer bound to that. You don't have to be a slave to that life anymore. You instead can live with Christ living in you. Do you understand that? You say, I've just got this bad habit that I'm doing. I can't stop. You're not a slave to that. That's not who you are. You're not defined by that. You're defined by your redemption in Christ. You're defined by his forgiveness. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. You say, I just just can't seem to get some things straight. I'm just struggling with these issues and all these things keep coming up and they, they seem to just control my life. You're not a slave to those things. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. And because you're no longer a slave, you're a son, and you've been made an heir to all that the Lord has for you. I love this story because it's, it's, it's kind of this story. If you, if you think about it like this, from slave, unwanted, unloved orphan to the son of the king. That's the greatest, rags-to-riches story ever told, isn't it? But you're not reading a fairy tale, you're reading the journey of your life. That's who you are. Far too often, we don't, we don't claim that sonship. We don't claim that we're heirs. We don't claim that we're not slaves anymore. We fall back into this lifestyle of, of defeatism. We can't do this. We're a slave to this. We just can't control. That's not who you are. Christ says, I, I, I was born and I lived and I died to redeem you, to buy you back, to set you free, to adopt you, to make you a son So you can accomplish great things for the Lord. And so I I just want to encourage you this morning as we go through the the Christmas season. As we enjoy time with family and friends and and, and gifts especially. man, We get get caught up in buying stuff for people. I just think we ought to kind of keep it in in the front of our minds as we think through all we're doing. The greatest gift we'll ever receive is the birth of Christ in our lives. It's the greatest gift any of us will ever receive. So you enjoy the gifts and the decorations, and the time with family and friends, but let's just remember all the hope and joy that Christ offers. Let's remember the gift that he's given us. Let's allow that to bring us during our time of thanksgiving and celebration at Christmas to a place of worship. And let's allow him in this Christmas season, above all things, to receive the honor and glory that he so desires and deserves. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for, again, the truth of your word. It's so clear that you've had a plan from eternity past, Father. When the time had fully come, you sent Christ to redeem us, Lord, to adopt us, to buy us back, to give us freedom. We praise your name for that. Let us embrace that in our lives. Lord, help us not to be slaves to the sins of this world to the sinful nature, but maybe we be heirs. Father, help us to see ourselves as adopted heirs, as sons and daughters of the King, with all the rights and privileges that go with that. Father, help us to be men and women of Christ that honor you, that love our lives for your honor and for your glory. Lord, you use us to do great things for your kingdom's sake, and we'll give you the praise, honor, and the glory for everything that you do. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, Amen. Stand with us. The the, the altar is always open. The invitation is given for you to respond. You can pray. You can come speak to me. But this is your opportunity to respond to the truth of God's word working in your heart as we sing together. You come. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you.